Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Christmas and welcome to heaven. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast-type situation through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, stuffing some turkey for a yummy Yuletide greeting. And meaninglessly pushing my food around the plate because I can't apparently be seen to eat on camera, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 28th of December 1995. FIFA 96 tops the console charts. Michael Jackson's Earth Song is still top of the pops. And Babe is still top of the UK box office. Bloody love pigs in blankets, me. <laughs> Bash, this is our Christmas episode. As you mentioned in a, in a previous episode, our fourth Christmas episode that we have done uh, with only two Christmases in actual real time happening. Yeah, Time is weird doing this show at the best of times, but the fact that we have now talked about so many Christmases, like from the past, it it's very weird because, of course, talking about Christmas with you, I get in the Christmas mindset, and then I'm like, oh, yeah. oh wait, it's May. It's and it's the start of May as well. We are about, like basically just about to hit the middle of May. It's the the thirteenth when we're recording this, and yeah, this is like oh, I'm ready for Christmas now. This episode made me proper festive. It is. It is It is full of festive fuckery, this episode. Uh, probably, I think it's the most Christmassy episode of Games Master, not because of the trappings, but because of the format. That's exactly it, yeah. Because this is, as we've mentioned in the past few episodes, a clip show. We haven't had one of these in our timeline before, but this is just Dominic Diamond and the Angels do a few links. And then there's clips from the past four or five seasons. And there's also some new footage as well with Rick and Dave talking about the games that change the world. Yeah, this is essentially the sort of show you put out when you're like, I'm not sure what our ratings are going to be in this time period because we're not a Christmas day. We're not a Boxing Day. We're not family viewing. 
there's not a huge amount going on in the games world over Christmas anyway. So, eh, you know, we're not event television, essentially. Yeah, I think it's also a bit weird that this is the episode that aired after Christmas. You know what I mean? Because, like, the episode we had last week felt very right to be aired in that time because it was about, you know, you may get a PC for Christmas and this is how difficult it is to put a PC together. But so much of this episode is about preparing for Christmas Day and that Christmas Day meal. But it airs three days after Christmas. Yeah, but, I mean, they would have still had a good shot at decent ratings. I mean, that's the thing. We don't know what the ratings oh, yeah, were for Games I'm not, Master. I'm not, about, I'm not talking about ratings. I'm just talking about, like, its placement. It just feels so weird to have this Christmas special air after Christmas. It feels yeah. like it should be the New Year's special. Maybe. Or, or like, kind of the Boxing Day. Yeah. That's like, like they could have actually gone just, like, you know... It, I mean, they could have gone with Boxing Day. They could have had, like, Dom and the Angels with hangovers and party hats and stuff like that. But would it have given us an opportunity for Dom to stick his hand in a turkey and also show us his vegetables. Well, that's it, yeah, which is why I'm surprised that this didn't air before Christmas. But, um, I mean, it, it is a, it's a wonderfully nice episode, uh, regardless. And, you know, it is our Christmas special, so, as is tradition, we need to run down the Christmas TV of the time. It's a very Merry Christmas Day with BBC One when at 6.45, Auntie gets her bloomers out. Please don't go. But it will be all right on the night as Albert Square celebrates Christmas Day in this special omnibus edition with part two after this. Hyacinth Bouquet, B-U-C-K-E-T, calling on her mobile phone. How do I get the feeling it's going to be one of those days? Million dollars. A lifetime of security for one night. With Robert Redford, who could refuse? So out with the festive spirit and settle back for a little tipple with BBC One this Christmas Day. And this is a very, very good Christmas era for me in particular because on Christmas Eve, Ash, we had the TV premiere of Wallace and Gromit's A Close Shave. And we stay with this dazzling duo now on BBC Two in another enchanting story from Oscar-winning animator Nick Park. With more gadgets than James Bond, more menacing than Jaws, Wallace and Gromit are about to encounter a fiendish stranger. I thought this was later. I don't know so why. I, I, I thought it was wrong trousers now, and then a close shave would have been a couple of years' time. Yeah, but I... Hang on, what order do they go in? So it's um, Grand Day Out, wrong yeah. trousers, close shave loaf and death yeah i think part of it may be because they're on every sodding christmas like even now it's like is it christmas someone somewhere is going to be showing a wallace and or a gromit or all of them Mm -hmm. and i will be watching them every single time it's on if i'm flicking through channels at my parents house or something and i see the either grand day out wrong trousers close shave loaf or death i am tuning in to watch it because i love i was obsessed with wallace and gromit at this period of time as well I think for this Christmas, I must have. This must have been the year I got my plasticine set. Might have been the year before, but I got a plasticine set of how to make your own Wallace and Gromit's at home. It came with like sort of the toothpicks and stuff, and you could sort of make your own stop motion movies uh, in in the comfort of your own bedroom, which I, I didn't really get around to doing. But I did enjoy building the Wallace and Gromit's and stuff, and following the guides on how to do that. Now I've got to ask because we've talked art before. How did you do? I was not great at it. Uh, I, you know, I could do 
Uh, I remember quite vividly doing the crisscross patterns of of Wallace's cardigan, um, and it was a you know it was a touch ropey because I I am not a good art boy, but uh, I you know I, they they were they weren't terrible is how I would describe it. That's that's good. That's as good. That's as good a thing as you can go for. So what day was uh, what day was that on? That was on Christmas Eve. I mean, looking at the Christmas Eve listings, there wasn't a huge amount to sort of pick out and stuff. This was like the big events moments and surprisingly for me it was on bbc2 i would have thought this would have been a proper like bbc1 type thing no this actually i just called up the listings myself this followed space precinct exactly <laughs> you know what i mean like i mean it's quarter past six so it's good tea time fair but yeah it's it's on bbc2 following space precinct oh but just looking a bit later on bbc2 Probably, I, I'm not sure I'd have be, I'd have seen this, and you definitely would have. But at 9:50 p.m., it's bottom and holy, and an invitation to Christmas dinner. Not sprouts. Nobody likes sprouts. Why are we having them then? Because it's Christmas. And you don't even have to leave the comfort of your armchair. Christmas Eve on BBC Two. <laughs> I know, right? Gold, Frankenstein, and Gurr. Uh, looking ahead to Christmas Day, we had a couple of good premieres in there. On BBC at half past four, we had the premiere of Steven Spielberg's Hook on ITV at eight o'clock. We had the premiere of Sister Act. And on BBC at ten past ten, we had the premiere of Indecent Proposal. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Send Hook. <laughs> A family movie for Christmas Day now on BBC One. Robin Williams is a grown-up 1990s Peter Pan, rediscovering Neverland and crossing swords with Dustin Hoffman, the evil Captain Hook. Um, I mean, for me, though, the one that really jumped out to me when I was going through this, yeah, of course, you got the premiere of Hook and everything, but you know what it's competing against? Over on ITV at 20 past three, Ghostbusters 2 is on. Oh, I... Hmm... <laughs> yeah, it's tough, right? I don't. Do you? Know, I reckon we'd have had Hook on because that was it's still new. at the point when there was a family TV thing happening. And although I'd have seen both of these in the cinema, I know I saw Hook in the cinema, and I definitely saw Ghostbusters too in the cinema, and I think had it on video by this That's point. That's what I was thinking. I think we probably would have watched Hook because we'd have we already had Ghostbusters two on VHS. That's actually the copy that's up on my uh, shelf at the moment. Nice. But also, a blast from the past follows Hook. It's Auntie's brand new bloomers. Yeah, like it's some real good, you know, Christmas fun Saturday evening TV. Even though it's you know a Monday or a Tuesday, I think. And on ITV, you know, you got the the Christmas special for Coronation Street, which is then followed up by, and they have been quite a mainstay of this podcast, particularly of the last couple of series, the Robson and Jerome Christmas special. Couldn't escape the buggers. Our favourite squaddies became our favourite pop stars. Robson and Jerome celebrate next on Yorkshire. Although following that, and something I know my mother would have uh, had on, Sister Act. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. Yeah, Sister Act got its premiere at 8pm. A double movie premiere for Christmas Day at 8, Sister Act. You're safe now, and we're going to see that you stay. I'm going to put you in the last place on earth that Vince would ever look for you. Oh, no, 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 I can't do this. I'm sorry. Then at 11... I really, oh, really honey. love you. You are the most callous! 
Bet Midler and Woody Allen in Scenes from a Mall round off a movie premiere double for Christmas Day on Yorkshire. One thing I wanted to point out, because I think we've talked about it before, is I started to really get into what the other channels were showing, like the non-mainstream ones, so the BBC Two and the Channel Four, and it meant I saw a lot of early horror films, some hammers, some classics, and I know that my dad would have probably saw and pointed me at um, the Marx Brothers because I know that this airing of A Night at the Opera would have been the one that I taped off air because mm. that was on at 1.30am on yeah, Boxing a, Day. That is not one that you're tuning in to watch live. That's a timer record, oh, yeah. you know, f- followed by watching the weather and close down. <laughs> Speaking of Boxing Day, actually, I'm pretty sure this is where we had our taped off the TV recording of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which was on at 10 past two on Boxing Down BBC. I'm certain that's the version that we had taped off the telly. Harrison Ford's the all-action hero alongside Sean Connery, now on BBC One, in Steven Spielberg's Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Really? Wow. Pretty sure it is, because we had we didn't have official VHS releases of any of the indie movies. We just had them all taped off the beeb. And yeah, I'm pretty sure this was the one. It was either this or a different Christmas day. Uh, we probably didn't tape, however, at five past six, the premiere of Beef Oven. And I don't think my dad would have been too interested in taping. Actually, he might have done, really. Patriot Games had its TV premiere at 20 past nine on the BBC as well. Yeah. How's the family, Ryan? For John Ryan, there's no escape. I'm after the man who tried to kill my family. No mercy. Where's Sean Miller? And nowhere to hide. Hey, come on, Ryan. Show yourself. Patriot Games, tonight, 9.20. On BBC One. One thing that just caught my eye, um, because I think it was shown over over a couple of days, maybe it was um, the greatest music party in the world, and it was shown stupid late, like twelve oh five a.m. into Boxing Day. And the reason it catches my eye is listen to this lineup. It was recorded at uh, th- that month's concert at the NEC in Birmingham, including David Bowie. Rod Stewart, Diana Ross, Soul to Soul, Lightning Seeds, Desiree, Echo Belly, Alanis Morissette, Alana Miles, Curtis Stigers, and Diana King. And I'm like, fuck me, that's a lineup. Is that the one that's on Channel 4? No, that's on BBC One. Oh, because there's a Channel 4 advert that I found when I was like, you know, putting together these podcasts and stuff and the edits for them. I found a Channel 4 advert that had a, a almost similar line because it was Bowie that jumped out to me. Hey, up, our kid, it's back and it's had a new paint job. The White Room returns to your screens for the party to welcome the new year. Hey, tell you what, it's chock full of top turns. Featuring performances from David Bowie, a live set from Oasis, the legendary Lou Reed vintage appearance by Stevie Wonder and Sheffield's finest, Pulp. So turn the telly up, roll back the carpet and see in the new year with the White Room. New Year's Eve, 11.15, Channel 4. So we just had an inadvertent break in the recording, which you won't hear because we'll have just cut from talking about one thing to talking about another. And while we were on that break, I looked up this greatest music party in the world. This was such a massive thing. I'm genuinely sad that I'd not heard of it before. It was sponsored by Mars, uh, mainly to promote Twix. And it was five days, 27 bands, and an audience of over 37,000. And was filmed for a three-hour special that was broadcast in over 50 countries around the world over the Christmas 1995 period. And it just looks 
absolutely huge. I mean, I listed some of the names in that other list, but yeah, E17 are in there as well. Eternal. Uh, who else do we have? Shaggy. Shaggy was there. And this was this was all basically paid for by Mars. And the only clips I can find online at the moment are of Diana Ross singing and giving the uh, kind of gig security absolute conniptions by going down into the audience. Like the, the 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 security are just like no, don't do that. They're people. I think you were saying as well that like it's it, there's nothing about this anywhere else. Like there's no recordings of this anywhere. There was no. Well, this way, I searched eBay because my first thought was, is there a VHS I can find of this? There was not a lot on YouTube. There might be an archive.org recording. I didn't get that far into it, but I'm going to take a look for it because yeah, just... someone must have recorded this, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure by the time this episode drops, someone will hear us and will be adding us on Twitter with YouTube links or Vimeo links or something. And I hope they do, because I want to see this because, man, there are some bands. I mean, like, <clears throat> leaving aside live David Bowie, which is always a special thing, but peak 1995 era Alanis. I know. Yeah. I mean, we will get to this when we get to at uh, the end of next year. Jagged Little Pill is a massive album for us next year. In the UK. I'm seeing Alanis next month. Oh, I'm so jealous of that because that's the Jagged Little Pill tour, right? Oh yeah, like, yeah, the delayed anniversary tour. Yes, playing the entire album, uh, playing the album in its entirety. I'm very jealous of that. Yeah, and I'll be the only person in the audience shouting, "Play still, play <laughs> the Dogma song." <laughs> Uh, right before we get into our clip show spectacular, however, let's go through our end of year lists because we have got the biggest games in the United Kingdom of 1995 on the 16-bit uh, consoles, the cartridge list. In at number 10 was Premier Manager. Number 9, Micro Machines Turbo Tournament 96. I mean, I will pause just for a second. This list does tell you a lot about the UK cartridge gaming scene. Number eight, Brian Lara Cricket. Number seven, Mickey Mania. Number six, Killer Instinct. Number five, Mortal Kombat 3. Number four, Theme Park. Number three, The Lion King. Number two, FIFA 95. And number one, FIFA 96. Yes, and of course, press F to pay respects to the FIFA name because whatever comes next for FIFA, it probably ain't going to be as good as what they've had. Love it or hate it, the FIFA games have always been playable. I, well, that's I was going to say that we'll probably bring this up when we do Under Console Nation. It comes up in our news, but FIFA has been such a pivotal part of Games Master. We have had it featured pretty much every single year on this show. And the FIFA, the, the FIFA brand, that EA FIFA brand is coming to an end. And I'll, I'll be honest, I've seen a lot of different hot, spicy takes on it. And my general thought is EA have given a solid years plus notice that this is going to happen. I genuinely don't think that people are in love enough with FIFA as a entity to go, well, my loyalty lies with the kind of corrupt football organisation. Realistically, their loyalty will lie with the morally ambiguous game publisher. Uh, looking at these singles, the biggest of the year at number 10 was Wonderwall by Oasis. Number 9, Missing by Everything But The Girl, which is a really surprised me. Uh, number 8 was You Are Not Alone by Michael Jackson. Number 7, Fairground by Simply Red. Number 6, Earth Song by Michael Jackson. Number 5, Think Twice by Celine Dion. Number 4, Back For Good by Take That. 
Number three, I Believe Up on the Roof by Robson and Jerome. Mm. Number two, <laughs> wait for it, Ash. Number two was Gangster's Paradise by Coolio. And number one was Unchained Melody and Over the White Cliffs of Dover by Robson and Jerome. And I will yeet that song over the White Cliffs of Dover. Balls to that. I am glad. I, I don't think we don't have to discuss Robson and Jerome again after this, do we? I don't know. They might crop up. I mean, they're about to crop up again when I give you the album listings because they were also the biggest selling album of the year as well. Oh, fuck a duck. Okay. <laughs> a couple of other notes was What's the Story Morning Glory was number two. Um, what was the other one I wanted to point out? Made in Heaven by Queen was number six. Paul Weller's Stanley Road was number seven. And uh, Blur's The Great Escape was number nine. And one of my favorites, Pulp's Different Class was number 10. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there were some amazing, amazing albums released in 1995 and Robson and Jerome. Yeah, it was also there. The Mother's but... Choice. Ash, it is our final episode of 1995, our final episode of December. What's going on in that magazine? Well, we're pretty much done. It's our last time with the Christmas issue with its really quite wonderful Discworldian Grim Reaper. I mean, the reason why it's Discworldian is because, as I think I may have mentioned before, the illustrator for this issue and a bunch of others is Discworld noted artist Paul Kidby. So, you know, you ask him to draw the Grim Reaper and it doesn't matter. It's going to look like death from the Discworld. Uh, shout out to Discworld, actually. It was the fourth biggest selling CD-ROM of 1995 here in the UK. Yep. So many people hearing Eric Ida going, nope, that doesn't go there. <laughs> but in the past couple of issues, we've heard from Jaguar owners. We've heard from Saturn owners. We have a letter here, Luke, from an optimistic 3DO owner. Is it Dominic Diamond? No. <laughs> okay. I mean, all we need now is a CDI owner, really but I don't believe they actually exist. No, I don't think we had much of them. Dear Gamesmaster, I am an owner of a 3DO and I have a few questions to ask about it. Will the 3DO M2 be a PlayStation slash Ultra 64 beta? Will the following games be released on the 3DO M2? Mortal Kombat 3, Wing Commander 4, Dark Forces, Star Trek The Next Generation, Descent, Batman Forever and Magic Carpet. How much will the 3DO M2 cost when it's released? Yours sincerely... George Diavati, Liverpool. Now, I'll tell you what I like about this letter is it's not on the defensive. It's not kind of like, I bought a 3DO and I'm regretting my life choices. But please tell me I made the right choice. Games Master responds. Ah, so we have a 3DO lover in the audience, do we? Well, Mr. Diavati, if you just sit in this chair with all the wires attached to it, we'll channel the power of M2 directly into you. Brackets. Cackle, cackle. It depends how you mean beta. Performance-wise, both the add-on and standalone M2 systems could be very impressive, but it's a fair bet that marketing sales and software-wise, Nintendo will have the edge. Out of the games you mentioned, Wing Commander 4 Descent are likely to come out for the normal 3DO, but by the time the M2 arrives next year, the other titles may well be too old to be worth converting. As for price, no news there yet, although we do know that Panasonic are attempting to produce a very cheap unit, so don't be surprised if they try and undercut the Ultra. An amazing amount of optimism from Games Master there. And actually, apart from the brief comment at the moment at the beginning about wiring him up to the M2, a fairly straight up answer. I'm wondering if within the Games Master offices, they were still kind of like, no, the M2's going to happen. It's no I, Jaguar. I, yeah, I really do feel like Games Master is the, the brand that has been flying the flag for the 3DO. We saw it so much in Series 4, and I think that translated into the magazine as well. So it's it almost... It's, it's nice to see that that flag is still being waved for it, even though I think there is that air of defeat 
that it probably isn't going to be the Ultra 64 beta. I mean, it's still on the cover. It's still one yeah. of the listed systems. And spoilers, it is on the 96 issue as well, the first one that I've got here ready. Although, I do just want to point out, on the back of the last issue of 1995, Sega are still really, really wanting you to buy a Mega Drive 2 and a Mega CD and a 32X. Oh man, power up for just £99.99 each. Each. (laughs) (laughs) Tell you what, a Mega CD and a 32X for £99.99, that's a deal. £99.99 each, that's almost a Saturn. That is, yeah, for 200 quid plus the cost of the Mega Drive 2. Plus the games. And then some games for it as well, which I think were about five games apiece. So that, but that is the last page, the back cover of the last issue of 1995. And I'm going to show you the back cover of the first issue of 1996, but our listeners will have to wait until next week for us to discuss what it is. Oh. Yeah, someone's ballsy. Yeah. I think this says wait for it as well. Yes. Just as we leave Magazine World, I just wanted to say we've had... A couple of suggestions as to what to call your never-ending quest to guess the scores correctly. Um, originally, we just had one front runner, uh, which was Strike It Lukey, which came from Sean on the Discord. I quite like that. But then we had a late entrant from Twitter of Play Your Carts Right. That's very good, isn't it? So I'm thinking I'm going to put it to the vote on Twitter. Does that sound good to you? It, yeah, that sounds good to me. I think I'm going to be pushing for Strike It Lukey. If only because... It's got your name in it. <laughs> well, I was going to say, apart from that, we aren't in the cart era anymore. We're in the CD era now. So I feel mm. like the carts are going to be the thing of the past. We're not going to get a lot of cart reviews. But which is the better pun? I mean, equally, the second one, by far. Like, play your carts right is much better. But if we'd have thought of that in series two, then we would have been on... It, you know, it would have made more sense there. Although I suppose, how much longer are you still a Mega Drive owner? Oh, I'm a Mega Drive owner up until 1998. I think I'm a Mega Drive owner up until this fucking <gasps> podcast ends. <laughs> so it's still relevant in some ways. Exactly, yeah. I'm going to put the poll live now while we're recording, which will also give you an indicator of when this is being recorded and how close to release. And um, yeah, we'll run it for five days and we'll see what people come back with. And then that segment from that moment on will be known as that. I may even get a jingle made. You never know. A yummy Yuletide greeting to you all. Christmas comes but once a year, they say, which is quite obvious, really, if you look in the average diary. I've got a mountain of things to do here before the angels awake, so while I fiddle with this fine bird, you can feast your mince pies on the very best of Games Master. Choice archive clips from the past five years, a series of televisual tinsel testament to the fact that we are officially the most watched show in the history of the world. I don't know about you, Ash, but like this episode not only made me feel very Christmassy, um, because it is the Christmas special and there's lots of like Christmas stuff within there, it made me feel very nostalgic for a show that we were already nostalgic for but it just made me very nostalgic for like the episodes that we've already covered they feel like so far in the past yet in reality it's actually not that long ago that we were talking about you know look watching this series one intro and series two intro because we get like all four of the intros or five of the intros really to to kick us off here i loved the opening I, i was actually amazed how well it merged together especially with like 1995 technology And it wasn't just a throwback in that this is a clip show, but even the opening, like the opening spiel from Dom, 
had a certain air of the kind of 1992 to 1993 knob gag era to it. Mm. I mean, literally, Dominic starts up to his elbow in a bird. Exactly, yeah. And he's talking about, you know, I've got to do a lot of things to do before the angels wake up, like fiddling with this fine bird here. And it's amazing because we get later on in the show, the intro to episode one of series one, and it's a very similar style thing of just like knob gag, knob gag, knob gag. And I would actually say that some of the innuendo in this episode is the strongest we've had. I mean, the vegetables, it's not even innuendo. It is a look, a cock and balls. Yeah. Channel, we know that Channel 4 executives are not watching this episode. It's fine. They're busy snorting their Christmas bonus. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, no, sorry. That would be the ITV executives I mean, or the government. Like- I mean, even later on, he's talking about, like, it's a show about boys and girls coming in bucket loads to test their skills. Yeah, that one was just like, there could have been a more pregnant pause after that, but maybe he <laughs> knew where his limits were. So, um, I mean, I guess, should we have our first clip package? My joystick. Hey, what's the challenge tonight? It's one period on Mary the How do you fancy that one, Carly? I've never even heard of it. Um, Mega Man, is that one of your favourite games? No, oh. unfortunately. <laughs> and you've had slightly more experience on the game than Jason. Does that make you the favourite? I think so, yeah. I'm going to whip his ball straight into shape. Now, Stephen, um, you want to be an actor? Yeah, going to. Yeah, go on then, do some acting. <laughs> That's very good. I tell you what, Luke, I hope you like the soundtrack to Killer Instinct because we're going to be hearing a lot of the soundtrack to Killer Instinct. This is a uh, way you move from the original arcade soundtrack and pretty much all of the video packages in this episode are using music from the soundtrack to Killer Instinct which they've done a lot in series four because they use this track a lot for sort of like montage clips and stuff but we've had challenges where they have used tracks from Killer Instinct as sort of like backing tracks where that like mm-hmm, when they use it for the executioner and things like that so yeah they've used quite a few tracks from the killer instincts lineup i think it was more obvious to me here because it was like it was a pumping music video and there wasn't really narration over the top at all no we just get sort of like some choice clips in here you know the, the the kid who's just like it's my joystick and uh you know danny curley not knowing what game he was going to be playing in series two (laughs) one of my favorites from mega man was just like so do you like playing mega man Nah, not really. Also, we get a number of highlights of Dominic being a dick to kids. <laughs> just oh, like... poor Stephen and the actor. Yeah. We also get reminded of the super scope and one of my personal favourite useless peripherals. Bang! Bang! <laughs> Bang! I like that little period somewhere they were like, look at the, the wacky contraptions that we've had on the show. Like, they even show Buggy Ball, the, the, the missing challenge we had in the Christmas special last year. I guess because whilst absolute bobbins gameplay, when you're seeing it for two seconds, it That's looks it. impressive. It looks awesome, right? Like they've managed to edit this together to make that look like it was a competent challenge. You don't even notice that it's a Macaulay Culkin lookalike. And we, and we, we get kind of like shots of the winners and then we get shots of those that are less fortunate people who didn't fare so well. I do want to put out, in those winners, we do have former guest on this show, Amber, and they yep. end together to look like she won WWF WrestleMania the arcade game. <laughs> May as well have. May as well have, yeah. Also, like, I like in that montage as well, we had one of our favourite contestants, the freak-out kid playing Smash Tennis, where he was like really, really into playing Super Tennis on the SNES. 
and he was getting so angrily competitive at the game. It was a joy to see. And I'll be honest, covering Games Master as we're covering it and the sheer amount of information that we pump into our heads week on week to record this. This episode is actually quite nice. My research for this episode was light and I appreciated that. There was so much here I'd forgotten. Like that I'd forgotten. I'm like, oh, that's great. Oh, I should go back and look at that. You know, I should go back and remind myself of that. There's a moment later on when Dom is nostalgic for something that happened in this series that I'd actually forgotten happened. Well, there was the um the other week on the Discord, someone said, Oh, I never thought I'd hear about teledildonics on under consultation. And I was like, I don't remember talking about that. Did Luke talk about that? Apparently it was a clip from the episode and I was just because the thing is it would sound like the sort of thing we would bring up when we tangent off, but no, it was part of the CGI festival. So if you mention something to us and say, oh, I loved it when you talked about this and I just stare at you glassy-eyed or the online equivalent, it's nothing personal. I just literally can't remember what we talked about half an hour ago. Uh, You mentioned earlier, we do get to see our losers here, including former guest on this show, Paul Gannon. Yeah, he doesn't say trigger happy though which is sad. It is sad. It is missing that clip. I'm going to put that clip in here. Just for Paul. That would have been the one to end the medley on. Just like, yeah, yeah just got trigger happy. And we even have the Ashley Pask Worst Celebrity Award named after appearing in this montage here where he just talks about how bad the Neighbours game was. I mean, it was. And also... He was. Well, the first of our five games that shaped the games industry is Sonic the Hedgehog on the Mega Drive. It defined the whole platform genre. Mario, I hear you shout. Well, the thing with Mario was playable, though it was the graphics were not that much of a progression from the old days of the C64 and the Spectrum. Sonic was the first example of what the new 16-bit consoles could do. It looked great, it ran super fast, and it sparked a whole market boom. Apart from the glorious graphics and speed, the beauty of Sonic was its simplicity. Anyone could pick it up and play it, but if you gave it time, you had to be really good to master it. And a recent survey proved that amongst children, Sonic is the third best-known personality in the world, behind Michael Jackson and Mickey Mouse. Sonic is definitely the daddy of the console boom, and he deserves respect. So then we have the first part of our new bit of content in this, which is a a five-part series they're going to do throughout this episode called Games That Change the World. And they kind of take us through sort of the progression of games. We start here in the 16-bit era. And our final one, if you haven't seen the episode, spoilers, is a game that hasn't actually been released yet. Um, Lol, by the way, when we get to that. And we kick things off here with Dave Perry talking about Sonic the Hedgehog. Although, uh, Games Master Production, if I may just push my glasses up my nose here. You are, you are talking about Sonic the Hedgehog here, but you're using music from Sonic the Hedgehog 3. Uh, it's not quite uh, not quite accurate there, is it? Boy, I really hope somebody got fired for that blunder. One day you're going to wear glasses and it will be the greatest day of your life because you'll actually get to push glasses up the bridge of your nose. I like this countdown and I liked because, again, much like the, the uh, package nature of the show, it kind of indicated how far we've come just in the timeline. Although realistically, mm-hmm. if we wanted to cover the full timeline, of Games Master, we should have included some NES titles. However, to get my indignant kind of like, I guess, Nintendo side of things on, Dave Perry tees off this countdown by saying that Sonic defined the platform genre with Mario not being much more of a progression from the Commodore 64 era. And my exact note is, I think his bandana may be tied on too tightly because it's cutting off the blood supply to his brain. It is a probably an insane thing to say because I think... Anyone could make the any like with a pair of eyes, you can look at how Mario Brothers on the NES 
was a step up from the C64 and the Spectrum. And also just Mario Brothers through Mario Brothers 2 through Mario Brothers 3, there was an evolution of gameplay there and timing and graphical style. I mean, there was actually less of a jump between Mario Brothers 3 and Mario World than there is between, say, um, Alex Kidd and Sonic. That, you know, it's because the, the Nintendo games did grow and by the end of the Mario series on the NES, they were really pushing that hardware kind of hardcore. But he's not wrong that it did define what a 16-bit platformer could be by virtue of being first to market. Yeah, and being like super fast and everything like that. And it was easy to pick up. It was difficult to master. And yeah, he's right about the brand recognition. Sonic was a very recognisable character. Uh, I do wonder where Mario ranked on that list. I can't imagine it would be far behind Mickey Mouse and Michael Jackson. And I mean, I'm I'm an Amstrad kid, so I was an 8-bit kid, you know, so I kind of sat somewhere slightly outside Spectrum and Commodore 64, but we're playing a lot of the same games, just mm-hmm. look slightly different. I don't think I would compare any of the platformers that I played to Mario or certainly to Sonic. Like even going back and playing them now, there is a world of difference between timing and appearance. I mean, for me, a lot of my platform experiences involved an egg. Yeah. Oh, Dizzy yeah, yeah. with the puzzle mm. stuff. And going back and playing some of those via the Evercade, which I love doing, it's just like, wow, this 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 is a form of gameplay I'm so not used to anymore. Yeah, exactly. But Sonic is the daddy of the console boom. I will give them that. I just think that what was stated about Mario, it's tenuous. Yeah, I I have this a bit later on when they do the PC one as well. I can hear fumblings upstairs. That must be the angels stirring themselves, which means any minute now they'll burst in and demand I give them one of the presents. Only a couple of minutes left for me to finish with the vegetables. This was might be one of my uh, favorites of the uh, the Dom intro or the, the Dom segments here because he's talking about how like, oh, I can hear stumblings upstairs because the angels are waking up and wanking. So I need to <laughs> crack on with my, my veg prep. Also, how does heaven have an upstairs, Luke? <laughs> I mean, we you see, hold your breath. Well, <laughs> we see that uh, there are stairs that go up to the uh, the entrance when contestants come down how do you install a mezzanine level in heaven i mean what are the foundations i don't think they've thought this through luke there's every, i mean i think dominic just wanted to hold up those two bits of veg really oh my god <laughs> <laughs> i was checking what time did this go out again because i i tell you what the only thing i think would have been better is if it had been a couple of potatoes because the ratio of cock to balls was definitely a kilter i think the reason why he did that is because you can hold two sprouts quite easily in your hand along with a carrot. If you were we've trying to do that, done we've, it. We've all we've all been there. I think if you were trying to do that with two sizable potatoes, so that the ratio looked better, I don't think you'd have fit all of that in one hand. More than a handful. <laughs> yes, it is Christmas, and even I sometimes feel like wallowing in nostalgia. Hello, young scamp. Let me guess, you've got a problem. On the other time, you're on the Super Nintendo. I just can't get anywhere at all. Can you help me? What a pitiful plea. How can I destroy the Dust Dragon? Foolish boy. Hello, Games Master. Oh dear, oh dear, you are in need of help. Hello, Games Master. On Zelda 3. Zelda 3. Zelda 3. Zelda 3. Zelda 3. Zelda 3. Frankly, young man, that sort of question offends my intellect and doesn't deserve to be asked. Hello, Games Master. 
I'm having trouble with my soggy flange. Hello, Morisha. How good of you to pay me a visit. Hello, Games Master. Good Lord, what are you doing up here? <laughs> well, blow me. Oh, yes, that's more like it. Next, let's party. Ooh, ah, Cantona. Good Lord. How terribly upsetting. Because even Games Master, like this podcast, likes to wallow in nostalgia. And boy howdy, I find it hellishly amusing that we are entering a highlight segment of a section of the show that has been killed, even though we did choose to name our podcast after it. Yeah, do you know what the funny thing about this one is? I have a much vivider memory of watching this episode live than I clearly thought I had. And it's because of this video package that we get here, this clip show, because there's a there's a montage of kids talking about looking for hints on Zelda 3. <laughs> and I thought that was in the final episode. I thought that was from the montage of the final episode. And I remember quite vividly watching both of those. And I don't think it is in the final episode. It must be this clip package I'm thinking of here. And I know that it is because there's a video package that comes up, like a clip package that comes up later on that I've got a bit of a story behind as well. So I have misremembered the final episode of Games Master and I've conflated it with this clip package here instead. I love the choice of clips here because you've already mentioned the Zelda 3. I mean, we just get that entire block of Zelda, 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 Zelda. Uh, we also see Adam's family, stuff like that. We get a return of Auntie Marisha, a Dalek, a chicken, the Games Master's anti-aircraft guns and the child with like dental problems worse than mine. Woof. Yeah, I, uh, my favorite bit of this, outside of the the Zelda three stuff, which is funny, like isn't it? Because they show you like Zelda three, Zelda three, Zelda three. It makes it feel like that was probably the most asked for game, like throughout all of the consultations I'd run. But in reality, is that was just all of them. There's just that four or five in the twenty six, twenty eight episodes of series two. But it's so brilliantly well edited together to make it feel like every single week a kid was asking about Zelda three, which I really appreciated. But my favorite bit about this was just, it's just all the clips of Patrick having a laugh. It's just all the clips of Patrick just chuckling away, probably off, you know, uh, off camera stuff that is just, you know, them having a chat and him just having a little chuckle about what he's about to read next. It's really, really sweet. He's having a little chuckle thinking about his afternoon tipple. <laughs> his afternoon payment. Yes. For a segment that is no longer part of the show, it is looked back on very lovingly. It's certainly... Not the most dunked on element, as I'm sure we will get to. Uh, but yeah, it did make me miss the consultation zone. Not for the actual tips themselves, but just for the put downs, the one liners. And as time went on, the oddities, be it Auntie M, the back and forth. Yeah, or, or like one we, we didn't see, but I always remember is the kid who asks for help and Game Master's like, no, go away. I was thinking about this, like, we don't get any of the Consultation Zone stuff from Series 3. It's all Series 2 and Series 1 Consultation Zone, really. But it's like, Series 3 had Kevin Keegan asking for tips on his own game. It's almost as if Series 3 is not being highly regarded <laughs> by the production team at this point, Luke. I mean, maybe I'm speaking out of turn. Well, I mean, I wonder if we'll get a clip package for it later on. Right. Street Fighter 2 on the Super Nintendo created an entire new genre for the beat-em-up fan. 
special moves like the fireball had been unseen before. It created a new learning curve in respect that special moves themselves are very difficult to perform. That meant even the most hardened of game player had a lot to learn in the game. Street Fighter 2 also created the genre of beat-em-ups such as Mortal Kombat and Virtua Fighters. And even today we're seeing Virtua Fighters 2 extend the life of what must have been the most hardest, the best tournament game that was ever created. Hands up to Street Fighter 2, it was biffery at its best. Even Rick is calling it Virtua Fighters. Come on, Rick, that's a dumb thing. You're supposed to be better than this. But also, what version of Street Fighter 2 are we seeing here? Because what is it I Street Fighter 2? Is it Super Street Fighter 2? Is it Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo? Is it SNES, Arcade, Mega Drive, Amiga? I've already pushed me glasses up me nose once already today, and I'm about to do it again because... You're right. It says games that changed the world, Super Street Fighter 2. They then show clips of Street Fighter 2. And Rick is very clearly just talking about the original Street Fighter 2 on the SNES. Boy, I really hope somebody got plundered for that fire. Ah, but which version is the version they're trying to sell this Christmas? Well, that's it, isn't it? But in which case, just say, just review Super Street Fighter 2 and just say street fighter 2 was like the gold standard and then super street fighter 2 improved upon it by doing x y and z although i would argue that did super street fighter 2 change the world no did street fighter 2 change the world yes but i think they're a little bit mm, tenuous here like i mean we i've already dunked on the first game changed the world with the mega drive and sonic the hedgehog and and the kind of like the the, the shaming of mario in that uh, dave perry led segment and Rick is saying that Street Fighter 2 for the SNES created an entire genre of beat-em-ups. And I'm just like, did it though? I mean, it, did it? I, it didn't make, no, but I would, I, I would make the argument that it popularized the genre. Like, I, I think we had a lot of Street Fighter imitators that came after it. But then I think Mortal Kombat actually created more imitators than Street Fighter did. I guess my argument is, is did the SNES version really do that or was it the arcade version and are they merely highlighting the snares because guess what you can go out and buy this yeah there's probably not a lot of just street fighter 2 cabinets knocking about in uh, late 1995 i think it also strikes me as a slightly odd thing to say because the name of the game indicates it's a sequel I mean, yeah. no no one looks at the first Street Fighter and goes, well, this is amazing. I mean, the first Street Fighter is amazing. We actually got Street Fighter 2 because while it did have special moves, there was also the issue that it used kind of like um, uh, pressure-sensitive controls. So you're originally on the hardware for the first Street Fighter, your low, medium, and high was the amount of force you used for the button. That was done away with because they broke really, really easily. But Street Fighter was the one that introduced staples of the genre, like blocking technique, the pullback for it. Fireball, Dragon Punch, Ken, Ryu, like they're in the, they're, they're from, day, from day dot. Yeah, uh, and also the, the ability for another human opponent to put in a coin, press start, and here comes a new challenger. That started with Street Fighter and with it, and with the controls that I mentioned earlier being replaced partway through its kind of lifetime, the six-button control scheme, the light, medium, hard, light, medium, hard. So that was all Street Fighter. Not Street Fighter 2. Street Fighter 2 was just better at it. Yeah, I think I, I will defend the inclusion of Street Fighter 2 here 
as the game that changed the world because i don't think while you're right like everything that came in there was already in its dna from street fighter one but like you know i don't think many people really were aware of street fighter one and that's mostly because all of the home ports of it were absolutely bobbins and it just helped that street fighter 2 came in just at that launch of the 16-bit era and it was just re more readily available and just played so much better in the home market because yeah the, the home ports of street fighter one are very very bad an interesting little side note regarding street fighter one and street fighter two and its imitators because of course when you think of fighting games and particularly games makers that are kind of also runs next to a lot of the street fighter crowd snk come up a lot sure you want to talk your mortal kombat but your mortal kombat went a different route it was digitized sprites it was hyper violence it was a different style of gameplay mechanic and a different way of doing moves as well but snk were just kind of a little bit closer to the street fighter heart and one that came out only shortly after street fighter 2 was fatal fury and that was seen as a street fighter 2 ripoff even though it was developed by by takashi nishiyama who was the creator of the original Street Fighter. So I don't have the production cycle of Fatal Fury in front of me, but I think it was really so close to Street Fighter 2 that I'm not sure you could truly call it a ripoff. It's just one of those things, it's just who got there first. And, you know, in a pre-internet age, you just go by what the first thing that came out is. like, And then anything that comes out after that is a ripoff of the one that came before it, even if the one that came before it was actually in development long before the one that came first. But Street Fighter 2, whether it's SNES or Arcade, is definitely a game that changed the world, even if it didn't innovate the genre that Rick seems to think it did. Also, I'm not entirely sure Rick knows the meaning of the word genre. Yeah, I, I think that this is this and Sonic, I think, are, are fair entries. I do agree that I think Mario should have been in there as well. But this is that's the problem with only doing five games that change the world. I think there are games that come up later that I think are more questionable in like inclusions in this. Um, but I, I think certainly when you look at Games Master history, I think Street Fighter 2 was an absolute game changer. We talked about this, you know, the leap from Series 1 to Series 2 was a stark one when you compared the games they were playing in series one to then the first challenge being street fighter 2 in episode one of series two so yeah i think it's, it's an absolutely fair inclusion here it's just a bit garbled because they also claim it's super street fighter 2 but they're showing footage of a different game and also apparently mortal Kombat is a genre um you know i yeah i mean do you know what again probably in a pre-internet age every I, I, Everyone was trying to imitate Mortal Kombat afterwards. So maybe Mortal Kombat was its own genre by the end of it. I suppose maybe. But I tell you, one thing I can agree with Rick on, it was Biffery at its best. That is one of my favourite lines of this entire episode. Unable to resist the lure of my gleaming baubles, the angels have come down and are adding the final decorative touches to this Christmas scene. Merry Christmas, girls. Merry Christmas. I was trying to think, like, you know, what, what do we really, what do we really say about these sort of in-between bits? You know, the new footage that we get of Dom and the Angels doing things, as a, as outside of just saying, and they do an innuendo, because this is just the Angels cannot resist Dom's bollocks, so they've come down to like help out with the festive scene. And I, I guess I suppose that my question is, is which of them do you think is the best that we've had thus far of these in-between scenes? I think. It's probably the food prep one that ends up with Dom holding up a carrot and two sprouts, basically, yeah. as a cock and balls. And that's just because it's the payoff of having that on a pre-watershed TV. This is a notable moment, though, because the angels speak 
very briefly, which we haven't had, I think, don't think since episode one of this series. Yeah, it's it's only like two words, Merry Christmas. And and then it's just Dom on to basically talking about how great he is and saying that, you know, well, I only actually do this to basically hobnob with rich people and flirt with ladies, often with fantastic success, not mentioning that he'd married Wigfield a couple of weeks ago. Or the massive unsuccess he had with Natalie and Brulia. Oh, that's the equivalent to don't mention the war. <laughs> yeah. This, I think, is probably the most complete clip package thing that we get here because it's not just we have like our montage clip at the start you know we've seen like stars and stripes and Ulrika and her brother i've proper marked out for the little clip from games master live because what a wacky little time that was but we then have almost edited down versions of actual either challenges or interactions like we kick things off with dom talking about take that and you know, shows almost the challenge, not in its entirety, it's a very heavily edited version of them playing um, uh, Dino Blaster that Dom calls Super Bomberman, which isn't, you know, so it's technically true. But I, I kind of like that this bit feels more complete because it comes with Dom commentary and it's actual, like, proper footage as opposed to just a montage set to Killer Instinct music. Oh, yeah, because, of course... It's Killer Instinct music again, this time controlling transmission. Yeah, I like the take that one. I like Dom taking credit for launching their career. Also, how can you not have Vic Reeves being there with his terrible playing of Sleepwalker? Very, that very poor. Very poor. Very poor. Uh, I did love the fact that we got Jimmy White going one-on-one with a Mega Drive because that still stands as one of my favourite celebrity challenges of all of Games Master because it was like, if I had proper record, it was one... Roy Castle away from being a record breakers kind of vibe. Or yeah. Matthew Kelly for You Bet. And it's got like a, a proper photo frame finish. Uh, it's, oh. it's such a good challenge, that one. I'll be honest, how close it actually is, I feel could have been manipulated in the edit. And you know what? I'm fine with that. I'm totally absolutely fine. That, fine. Told a story. But um, after we find out that Vic Reeve is always feared of snakes... We get a right throwback to Games Master Series 2 on the games rig. And Jim Duggan is here, and he's here to play WWF Super Nintendos. When Hacksaw Jim Duggan came onto Series 2, he was living proof that although the WWF might be totally rigged, the mental imbalance of its participants is all too real. But I flew all the way over here this morning, to, especially to play this game. I'm and sorry. these folks don't want to play this game. A matter of fact, I don't think I'm I want to talk no. to you anymore out no. here. So let me make it fair and square. I've got one thing in mind, and that's to play some games, and I'm going to play. Here I come. Where am I going to find somebody? Yo, yo, go. Find someone. Round of applause for our brave volunteer. I was furious that they cut that line out. They cut the line of him saying WWF Super Nintendo. He's just like, I came here to play the game. Then it just cuts to the, him get out to the crowd to find the kid. I was like, I was gearing up for it. I was like, Ash, he's going to say it. He's going to say the line. Say the line, Bart. And then he didn't. I was like, fucking hell. Damn it, cry. Damn it, Games Master. I wanted my fireworks factory well i mean what do you do luke do you have him saying the full line or do you remind the audience that there was once a giant american wrestler that took off his shirt waded into a crowd and abducted a child it's a clip that is you know if you <laughs> when you're watching this in like say for example your jumping off point for games master was series five 
so you hadn't seen any of the previous four series this clip here would have been one of those times like if this had been like a show that came out now you'd be like oh i want to find a streaming service where this is available in a time when that didn't exist in the mid 90s where like you were never probably ever going to see series two episodes again it would have been like a man i wish i could have seen that episode that looks like so much fun i really wish i could have seen that and you'd have been right as well because like, jim duggan is one of my all-time favorite moments in this whole series for the reason you just gave then which is he takes his shirt off he throws dominic diamond to one side he then picks up a child yo you'll do picks him up and then takes him down to play some wwf super nintendo it's delightful stuff it, it, just the entire montage like everything brought a smile to my face and whilst one could argue it would have been like even better to get a bit of the randy savage promo in there again that's series three. Oh yeah we're, we're not we're not series three popular apart from jet we're not featuring many of the other celebrities from there. Oh, we do also get other wrestlers because we do briefly get to see Dominic right at the beginning being put in the headlock by Marcus Bagley. Yeah. <laughs> Poor old Marcus Bagley. No, he's Marcus... Become a, he's, be, he's become a bit of a hero as of late. I know. Marcus Bagley coming out as pro-LGBTQIA. Isn't it Honest amazing? to God. Like, like I, I, to be honest, the first bit, the LGB bit... I genuinely wasn't that surprised bit. But the fact that you went the full way through and basically spoke up in defense of trans rights, that one surprised me. Not because I think he's a bad person, but just because wrestlers he's at, he's, of that he's age. One, he's the old school he's the old school mentality. And a lot of those old school mentalities and people of that age don't really hold those sorts of beliefs. It was like and it's so nice as well because that has happened in between us doing the Stars and Stripes episode and now. So it's actually nice that we've been able to, you know, give a shout out to him because the last time we could talked about Marcus Bagwell on this show is when he wasn't in that great of a shape. And since then, in between us reviewing that episode and now, he's got into DDP yoga and has completely turned his life around. And yeah, and has become a, a very, very vocal person for certain rights and activists and stuff. And I, I think it's so nice to see. What a hero he's become. And I just love the one tweet, which is essentially... A man of a certain age learning modern internet lingo with, let's do a recap. I'm a based Chad, and though I don't personally enjoy Bussy, I get why others do. Am I missing anything? <laughs> <laughs> it's just the concept of Bagwell going, going I'm a based... Diamond, what's a based Chad? <laughs> <laughs> but there is no doubt in my mind who my favourite celebrity guest of all time is. It's sad, it's heterosexually predictable, but it was Jay Dean who showed us every inch of her personality on Alpine Racer. But we don't end with Mr. Jim Duggan and his WWF Super Nintendo child abduction antics. We are once again reminded of Nadine playing Alpine Racer while Dominic polishes a fire extinguisher that will appear in an episode or so's time. The Yeah, this uh, I mentioned earlier that there was a clip from this series that I'd actually forgotten happened, and it was this one. To the point when I actually got her name wrong in my notes, I wrote down Jadine. It was like, it was like he said Nadine. I was like, who the f*** was that? And then she looked up, I was like, oh, yeah, the yeah, Chris Evans' girlfriend. And yeah. I completely forgot that that had happened in this series. Yeah, it is here because Dom is still carrying a torch for her, as is probably most of the entire production crew. Yeah, but poor old Wigfield. Wigfield didn't get a mention in this. You'd have thought Wiggers would have got a mention in this. I wonder if the production order matched the broadcast order because it's odd 
that Dom's new wife doesn't get a look in. But one thing I will say is that Alpine Racer Challenge, you want to talk about great celebrity challenges. Oh, that was tight. Time. I mean, that, that was tighter than the trousers she was wearing because that time was on zero when she crossed the finish line. Possibly the most important games release of 1994, seventh guest both stunned and confused gamers all over the world with its combination of non-linear gameplay and stunning graphics. Strip bare, it's basically just a combination of mind-bending puzzles, but as a whole, it's a gothic games-playing experience. <laughs> Bring him with its high-quality rotoscope graphics and full-motion video, 7th Guest showed gamers something they had never seen before, and it gave them a taste of what programmers could really achieve on the new CD-ROM format. It could be blamed for sparking the whole PC boon, actually. Now, some of you might say, Doom, why isn't Doom in our top five? Well, Doom came along on the crest of the PC wave, but 7th Guest was there at the ripple. So this is the game that changed the world that I don't think belongs on this list. Like, yeah, I, I, I think that it is... Uh, groundbreaking in many senses of the word but i i you know because dave talks about like hey why isn't doom on this list well that's because it was on the crest of the pc wave and it wasn't the ripple i just think like of games on the pc market that change that legit changed the world it's doom because doom brought about so many imitators and de defined a genre and I, it's nothing against seventh guest it's just it's so weird that they named this title and then essentially have to justify its inclusion by saying, well, we didn't pick Doom for this reason. Like, I like Seventh Guest and it was a joy to see it here. But also, weirdly, I kind of associate it as much with the CDI as I do the PC CD-ROM because it was out there for the CDI. It was one of the big selling points was the fact that Seventh Guest is out there. And yeah... It's an odd feature. I do actually get what Dave is saying about Doom. Like, like Doom did come once we'd already kind of started to get the PC boost. Because actually, again, Doom is an evolution of Wolfenstein 3D. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally, very, very literally an evolution of Wolfenstein 3D. Remove Nazis, replace with demons. That's, that's kind of the basis of it. Whereas Seventh Guest was something quite new um and i think that's why they've picked it right like because like i think dave's you know is also making the point that this is one of the few fmv games that's actually you know good and you know and it's not, it's not just it's the fmv games it's also the puzzle elements but it's it's really good so it, it all it does make sense from that aspect of it and also let's not forget that seventh guest i mean we're, we're looking at it at the time of 1995 now and it's very easy to go doom doom 2 stuff like that seventh guest was actually first shown in preview form at the 1992 summer ces show and you think about what other games were being shown in 1992 particularly oh, yeah. I mean, on the pc 1992 bearing in mind summer of 1992 that's the end of series one games master before we get into the, the start of series two a few months later so like that's in the in-between era and you think, you know, we mentioned earlier the end of series one compared to the start of series two. And you talk about Seventh Guest, that was shown at the CES that was after series one. So it is, like, you know, massively ahead of its time. I mean, for me, when I think of kind of like games that really showed off the CD-ROM, like the early days of this is multimedia, Seventh Guest is definitely up there, as is Mist. I would say that Mist and Seventh Guest are right up there. And I suspect the reason why Seventh Guest is being featured here over mist is 
probably because um, mist was much more cerebral. There was a lot less gore and, and jump scares. And also, originally, it was a Macintosh game. But I don't know. I, I, I can see why you disagree in it being here. But also, I'm, I, I actually, this was one where I was looking at Dave Perry and going, I don't know, somebody's saying makes sense. I think so. What he, he is saying, it does make sense. It's just that, like, I think, you know, the other games that we've had on these games that changed the world were like, oh, these brought around like either imitators or they sort of changed the way that we could perceive these games. And I just don't think that, like, yeah, it, it's the fact that Dave feels like he's justifying the choice as opposed to people who've seen it being like, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense as, as, a, in, as its inclusion. It really just case of like, well, we didn't want to just put Doom on this list because it came much later on in the timeline. So I, I, to I totally get the reason why it's there. For me personally, though, I think if I'm looking at a PC game that legit did change the PC landscape, but I would say it probably was Doom. Now, before we dine on this bulging banquet, I'd just like to say thank you to all, all you for sending in your Christmas cards. Remember, there is a prize for everyone that I read out. This is a particularly lovely one. Dearest Dominic, Merry Christmas to you and the Games Master team. Remember, this is a time when we should think of those less fortunate than ourselves. Lots of love, Princess Diana. Oh, P.S., I told you I'd keep your name out of that Panorama programme. Man, you want to talk about segments that have aged poorly? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's... Ugh. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's timely, though. It's nice and timely, considering that, you know, that we talked about that Panorama programme airing only a couple of episodes ago. Yeah. It, it, I mean, the concept of Dominic Diamond getting a Christmas card from Princess Diana and, like, the, the, the further insinuation that Dominic Diamond had Princess Diana as well. But my favourite bit of this segment is the angels, because they're not going to actually eat that food, because God knows how long that food has been under the studio lights. It's probably cold and then reheated again. And so what we get is a good solid two to three minutes of the angels just shuffling food around their plate with a knife and fork. And I was howling at that, just the kind of like, we've got to look like we're eating but we're not, but we have to look like we are. It also acts quite nicely because it shows that Dom is a terrible cook and these angels do not want to eat. These angels do not want to eat what he has put down. Oh, wait, can angels actually eat? Isn't there a rule that angels can't eat because I'm or, or drink? Because uh, I'm, I'm not religious, but I've seen dogma a yeah, lot. Yeah, I was about to say, in dogma, they're not allowed to drink. Yeah. And uh, or, uh, is it drink or eat or, or just drink? I think it's just drink. Hang on. No, that's angel food cake. Literally, there's just lots of people making jokes on the internet, so I can't get a serious <laughs> answer. E either way, there is a potential theological reason why the angels aren't eating, and it's not just because of fear of food poisoning, which is also a valid reason. It also might explain why Dom is so fat at the end of this episode. He had to eat their food as well. Oof. He, he's definitely feeling the turkey on that one. Coming up in part two, more choice slices from the history of Games Master, plus some clips from Series 3. Back in a minute. Just how big is the B&Q Big Sale? Complete burglar alarm for only $69.99. Culture pressure washer for only £95. Save £10 on this Bosch hammer drill. And save £30 on this Gaines brush hour. There's a third of selected kitchen units. Save £100 on this bathroom suite. And that's just part of it. The B&Q Big Sale starts 10am Boxing Day. It's big! 
you're going on holiday, you should be going to a place that'll give you something more lavish for your lira. What about a place that'll get you somewhere more palatial for your pathetas? If this sounds like your kind of place, you should be going places. You'll get more holiday for your money. So, with our fantastic discounts, shouldn't you be going places with going places? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. On an ordinary day, a child's bright laughter fills the air. One loving word, one loving glance, the sunshine everywhere. Your worthers gives his worthers to so glistening with its golden glow, so sweet and creamy, a taste so good, your soul will like the two of you. Worthers and that feeling that you never will forget. When one who loves you says to you, you're someone very special too. Don't forget, the Comet Sale starts Boxing Day with hundreds of prizes cut. Remember, better come to the Comet Sale. Welcome back. Can I say for the record that I hated that red jacket and was forced to wear it at gunpoint? When we go back from the ad break, we've actually discussed this segment before because we discussed this in the Series 3 wrap-up episode. It's one of the few times that Games Master really does acknowledge Dexter Fletcher's time on the show, um, you know, after the end of Series 3. Um, and it really does feel like, you know, Dom has, he's on the record a lot now saying that he does regret a lot of the things that he said about Dexter Fletcher and Dexter's time on Games Master. And this segment here, like, I think the clips that they show does feel like it's got a bit of referential for Series 3, a bit of just like, oh, Series 3 was fun, like we split it into two halves, like, there was some good celebrities, we had some good challenges and stuff like that. 
But then it just cuts to Dom being like, ah, but Dex was a proper shit presenter though, wasn't he? Yeah, I. it starts with Dom just going, I hated that red jacket, but there was one thing that was worse and it was essentially that time I became Dexter Fletcher. And some of the bits we get are really good, like uh, No Trouble. Like that yeah. guy just all the time. That made me laugh. That was quite fun. It's there a was nice some bit good... of editing around that as well, of like splicing it in a couple of times and ending it with the No Trouble punchline. And it is when Dom kind of comes in on the voiceover basically to go, yeah, he wasn't a very good interviewer because all he did was repeat back what viewers said. Something which Dom did in the early series as well. So really, no. you're, you're throwing stones in glass houses there, mate. The following interview technique is called Repeat Everything Anyone Says. I'll smash everyone. You'll smash everyone. That's Chris, not the team captain. Chris, team captain. He got lucky. He got lucky. Yeah, he did get lucky. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. You haven't seen nothing yet. I'm a Don, mate. I am a Don. <laughs> you are the Don. Don. When it comes to computer games, I'm a Don. Have you got a computer? No, I haven't got a computer. You haven't got a computer. <laughs> I'm a Don, Dom's got his own irritators. Like he, and we all do in podcasting yeah. form, in when you're just ch- chatting to people, even when you're talking online, we've all got our own irritators. Dom's got his as well. And that was Dex's. He just te- he did tend to repeat back what has been said to him. But it's a, you, we talked about this during series three. It's a good way to sort of like allow your brain to catch up and think of the next question you're going to ask without leaving dead air. I mean, we actually probably have way more irritators than you normally hear as a listener because we edit those fuckers out. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> this, this episode, sorry, this podcast is clean as a whistle because you and I are ruthless when we're cutting it up. It's like they don't need to hear me say it's interesting for the 15th time this episode. <laughs> Nothing is that interesting. <laughs> Yeah, but I, we I, do. There you go. There's a bit that will get edited. Um, <laughs> but we, I, we did get that beautiful moment of the kid in the team championship deliberately just going, "Oh, your name's Derek." All right, Derek. And they then kind of pair it with what I assume is an outtake or a bit of unused footage because it is just Dexter stomping off down a corridor. That yeah, I'm it, fairly certain we never saw before. I'm trying to think if we have seen. It, it feels like that is footage we have seen. Or like, you know, it ends an ad break or something, or it's the start of something where like we're seeing him walk down corridors and stuff. But it, the way that it's edited into this montage here, it really does feel like, and that's it. And that is like Dex's swan song from this show. Because at the start of each show, particularly in the first half, he'd always run down, come down the gantry, slide down the stairs sometimes. Quite dynamic. And then at the end, he would bolt it and he would go up and he'd go out. And, you know, the idea is he was off. He would leave the uh, the games academy and i do wonder is was that a bit of footage for him for exiting at the end of an episode because i can guess we wouldn't have seen that because those episodes were so so dense. tightly done yeah and like yeah you're right like because they cram so much stuff into it i think I, I, I feel like i've seen it before i might just be thinking of this though because this is i mentioned i there was another video package that i thought came later it's this one and so I vividly remember watching this episode and this point here because it has made me, or I say it has, it did for a long period of time make me misremember Series 3. Because Dom's intro for this is that for Series 3 of the show, they made me a foot shorter, put a silly wig on me and gave me an unbelievable or a barely, barely believable Cockney accent. And I have got, I had it in my head clear as day that when Dexter Fletcher appears up on screen, the name bar does not say Dexter Fletcher. It says Dominic Diamond. And so I then spent years believing 
that Series 3 of Games Master just recast Dominic Diamonds until he came back in Series 4. And I've told people that as well. I remember being at university and telling me, like, oh man, do you remember in Series 3 when they renamed, like, they brought in Dexter Fletcher, but they just said it was Dominic Diamond, so that you always had Dominic Diamond as the host. I, I just completely misremembered see all of Series 3 off of this one thing here, which is, and it wasn't until we started doing the show, and I was like, oh, I completely misremembered all like, you know, go back and watching it and stuff. That I just, yeah, I completely misremembered it. But even though it's perhaps kind of like slightly harsher than it should be, particularly as we look back on it and, you know, stand by our mantra, Dex did nothing wrong, I'm glad they didn't completely ignore it. Same here. I yeah, I am as well, actually. I mean, also we've got time to we got, you know, an episode to fill up. Like this was this was a good chunky clip package. Definitely. I mean, there were a lot of games in series three of games master bridge racer sparked off the 32-bit generation with a bang it was the first game that many people had seen on the playstation thanks to it being packaged with the import version and it was more than impressive it was a yardstick by which all 32-bit games will now be compared it was fast it was smooth and it moved around huge sprites at such a rate that you could not believe we finally had what we could play in the arcades in your own home thanks to its graphics and its incredible rave music throughout it was more a multimedia experience and therefore was interested even to people who have not previously considered a console or to play games it truly marked the birth of the next generation machine and the next generation game so how do we how do we feel about this inclusion here of ridge racer like it, it we mentioned in series four that this felt like a game-changing moment because they had that whole like we're breaking the format of series four now we're dunking everything that we actually filmed and we are just presenting this here do we think though that this is you know as rick calls it this big multimedia experience it's not like this made people buy import games this made people go out and i want to kick off the 32-bit era do we think it's as game-changing here as games master acclaim i think if you'd asked me at the time like in 1995 going on 1996 i would say yes if you then asked me a couple of years later i would say no and yet here i am in 2022 and i think i'm back to yes again because what you have is a launch title for a console that is one of the hot games in the arcade and whilst the term arcade perfect is banded around far more than it should and this game is not arcade perfect it is however bloody good and a really really solid accurate enough interpretation of the arcade game i mean this is a game that sold consoles mm -hmm. it, like i think this is a very worthy inclusion of it and not I mean, even actually just in the Games Master timeline of things, of you know, we mentioned only the, the Series 4 thing. I think this is well earned in its place here because it's the launch title for the PlayStation, as you mentioned there. I, I, I think that they've made completely the right choice here. Work, have games come out after Ridge Racer that have probably sold more PlayStations? Absolutely. But at the time when this game came out, particularly in the import market and stuff, yeah, this felt like a real game changer for console gaming. I mean, when you look at what was launching with the Saturn when the Saturn launched, yeah. and you had Virtua Fighter, which was an old game. Then you had Virtua Fighter Remix, which was Virtua Fighter, but with Virtua Fighter 2 graphics. And then you finally had Virtua Fighter 2. And this one is just a case of, boom, day one, here we go, Ridge Racer. Go for it. We've mentioned quite a few times in this series, reviews of Saturn games have been 
ah, this might be the game that's made buying your Saturn worthwhile. We don't get that with PlayStation ones, and that's probably because when you bought your PlayStation, you got Ridge Racer with it. Ridge Racer was a prize for the competition. Yeah, I... It was, an, it, it was, to echo what's said in this segment, it was a yardstick by which all 32-bit games would be compared, particularly in the first couple of years. If there's a racing game, it's compared to Ridge Racer. Shortly down the line, if there's a fighting game, it's compared to Tekken. It's the Namco thing to a degree. I mean, Namco and Sony's partnership really, really helped Sony kind of like get that early boost particularly with i think attracting arcade fans or people that really needed to be convinced because they could see a game like ridge racer in their arcade and they could see a game like tekken in their arcade and they'd be enjoying it there and the fact that it was there on the playstation and it looked so good and so arcade perfect that's gonna shift units mm-hmm it, and it worked, man. It really worked. In our review section, we've seen more atrocious games than a Crystal Palace season ticket holder. However, that's still no excuse for the sheer atrocity of reviewers' haircuts, which you, the audience, have had to suffer over the years. Let's take a look at a few of them. This, uh, The next video package we get here, I was not disappointed with because it, it did make me laugh. Dom cues it up by talking about how we've had a lot of bad reviews on this i like this more bad more reviews of bad games than a crystal palace ticket holder great line but i thought we were going to get a montage of video game reviewers dunking on video games like some of the real choice lines that we've had over the years of people being like worse to say that this is rubbish and stuff but it actually is don making fun of haircuts yep the hair agenda continues it's the five worst reviewer haircuts and you're right i would like to have seen clips of the various reviewers over the year dunking on the games however this did make me laugh oh my god so much particularly as number we five get the and same number one. twice <laughs> that punchline is so good good to have julian rignall at number five with his mullet and you, you watch this being like poor julian rignall got away with that didn't he only coming in at number five Nope, that's because the punchline is he's also number one. <laughs> Although my personal favourite is because we go via jazz twice. We got John Davison, Radio and Automatic. My personal favourite is Peter Scott, whose haircut is described as shredded wheat in a thunderstorm look. Yeah, the only reason I didn't like the Peter Scott one is because like dunking on your mates who work in the video game press, absolutely. Dunking on members of the general public, though, that one feels a bit unfair. They signed the release form, Luke. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, I mean, and I, and I don't begrudge them for doing so because, man, what a haircut it was. But it was actually really nice to see Radian back, as I've written here, a Radian automatic with his Adam Bibolo look. <laughs> Although I still maintain Jazz Rignall, whether 1993 dead skunk look or the gigantic structure that blended several bad haircuts into one glorious hole... Jazz Rignall's still great. Still an absolute legend and a hero. Miss the jazz man a lot. We've always maintained a furiously high standard of televisual entertainment on Games Master, but there's a few moments which bring a lump to my throat and comfort me as I lurch gracefully through the dotage and incontinence of old age. Here's a few. Light! But we're back with Dom and the Angels. The plates are mysteriously clean as the Angels basically open miniatures of brandy or petrol 
could be either at this point. Dom is always talking about how they've always maintained a high standard on Games Master, but even for him, there are a few moments that put a lump in his throat as he lurches towards old age. And then we get the perfect example of even if they did do retakes on Games Master, they definitely shouldn't have done a retake on this because the bollocks up is glorious. Look, it happens to the best of us. And this has happened to probably every single person on this planet that's attempted to do it. Sometimes the buggers just don't light. And I love the fact, you know, you're trying to light the brandy pudding on fire for the punchline. And when it doesn't work, Dom just resorts to shouting at the pudding. <laughs> this is a uh, a very interesting collection of clips here, because again, like the celebrities one that we had in the first half of this show, this has actually got some Dom narration to it as well and sort of like giving some some context written stuff. I did enjoy him cringing at his own on-screen debut and being like, oh, I don't like that much. My TV debut took place on Tuesday the 7th of January 1992. I still find it hard to accept that the soft, smiley, pathetic creep that graced the screen was actually me. Thank you very much and welcome to Games Master, television's first ever video game magazine show. Especially designed for people out there who find Pictionary pointless and Kaplunk a waste of marbles. So, if you've ever dazzled your local arcade inhabitants with your hard-driving prowess, or simply enjoyed a waggle of your joystick in the privacy of your own bedroom, this is the show you've been gagging for. <laughs> or like him singing it in the New Year's special for Series 2. I, I think some of that stuff is really, really nice. Dom reflecting on his early, you know, it was his TV debut. This was his first gig in TV. And honestly, I genuinely think he did really well. He kind of hit the ground running. He It, it didn't feel like his first gig, even if he doesn't like it. No. I still think it comes across really, really well. He has got, you know, a little bit of rabbit in the headlights look about him, but he doesn't stumble over his words or anything. He's very clear and concise. That first take is mostly one go of him just talking about, you know, like Joyce waggling, Kaplunk being a waste of marbles and all this sort of stuff. He gets it mostly in the first take or, you know, whatever take it was, but he gets it in one go. I I think he's being slightly harsh on himself. I kind of enjoyed the Christmas sing-along moment as well. I thought that was really kind of beautiful. We said at the time it gave us a bit of a lump in our throats. Yeah. And then we see what we now know is a very controversial end to the Series 3 Championship. Look forward to reading that chapter in the Games Master or History when we get it. Oh, I cannot wait for it because that's been tantalizingly teased for us because we heard about it when we interviewed Dom. And then Dom brought it up again when we interviewed him uh, for in the lead up to Series 4. We didn't actually really get to cover it in, in Series 3 when it happened. And then when we thought we were going to find out about a bit more about it from someone who was on the ground there. And when we interviewed one of the finalists of the team championships, they told us a very different controversial story that happened on that day. You won't see that in the fucking book. I, d- I tell you what, that story, uh, go back and check it out from the end of series three. That, that one, we've had some unexpected things happen with us during interviews, some of which made it into the edit, some of which definitely didn't. That was one of the few ones where when the interview was done, I remember just immediately calling you back and just going, dude, what the hell? Yeah, what the hell happened there, man? Like it was, but yes, we, I'm so curious to find out more about this because like, you know, Dom talks about, you know, there was a technical fault. You can see that these guys are upset about it. But this, as far as I know, led to lawsuits and stuff. 
So like there is a lot to dive into here that Dom just sort of like just skirts over ever so slightly to be like, oh, there was a bit of a bollocks up and then these kids were sad about it. Someone else's monkey, someone else's circus. <laughs> yeah. But we do get to see Martin Mathers, the Virtua Cop challenge from only earlier in this season where he doesn't complete it in time to get the joystick, but he does get a thumbs up and a well done, mate. One of my favourite moments of this series, actually probably Games Master writ large which is not the same can be said for me when it comes to Lee and David arguing about their girlfriends. There still are some fairly funny lines in this, but it is still just like, it's a bit embarrassing at the same time. See, my note just says, also we end on one of my favourite moments of season four in what could best be described as doorstep gate. It's him going, it was dark. Really, It still makes me laugh. It's the look that Dom gives the camera. It's just like, well, I didn't expect this. This is great. It's such a good look. They used it twice in this episode. They used it in one of the earlier clip packages. When you break the fourth wall, you do so in style. Well, this is an unexpected addition to our chart because Mario 64 isn't even out yet. But already it's being heralded as a game that could reshape the way the industry thinks. The Ultra 64 is the only machine that could possibly throw a shadow over the rise of the Saturn and the PlayStation this Christmas. And Nintendo have been very brave. They've used Mario, their main icon. Even Sega didn't dare use Sonic in their early next generation games. The game itself, it's notable, is not an arcade conversion. It's actually a whole new game being developed specifically for playing in your front room and emphasizes Nintendo's target, which is the family unit. All right, here we are. It's our last game that changed the world. And I'm just going to read you my notes verbatim here at the start. Ha 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 ha. It's fucking Dave doing this one. My notes were similar. They just said, Dave Perry is here talking about Super Mario 64. Lol. Oh my god, who would have thought that when we get to the Christmas special in just one series time, this game is going to be a very big thing for Dave Perry. Holy shit, this made me laugh so much. But I both do and don't agree with this. It's funny that it's here, isn't it? Because I think if you'd have done this list in two years time, maybe three years time, this would have been on the list. And like, I think if you did this list in 2022, this game would probably be on the list. So they really were sticking their necks out here to be like, this is going to be a game that changes the world. I don't think it's a number one, though. And I say that as someone that does love Mario 64. I, the, I think the only reason it's number one in this list is because this list is done in chronological order. True. If we're ranking it on importance, I do not believe this is as important. I think this game is important because it also shows, I guess, something of the follies of the Nintendo 64. I mean, let's just state mario 64 is amazing it sure is absolutely amazing particularly love the ice slide challenge always will um <laughs> i'm really good at that luke i don't know about you <laughs> well you know I, I didn't get it on import so i don't know oh but it's a game where when you look at a nintendo 64 joypad and i just happen to have one here I look at this and I immediately know what every button on it does in Mario 64. And that's because Mario 64 very much feels like a game that was designed hand in hand with the controller. This controller was designed for this game and probably only this game. Like Pilot Wings also kind of uses it. Zelda doesn't do a bad job. But the whole, okay, you navigate with the thumbstick in the Z mode and then you control the cameras using those buttons. And it's, yeah... This is the game that goes hand in hand with this controller, but also it 
doesn't that doesn't always work out well. And I say that because also within my line of sight is the Sega Saturn 3D controller. Mm, oh dear. Which I mean, I'll be honest, it's a perfectly fine controller for nights. Yeah, that's exactly it. Again, a controller that's designed for one game. But this game did cause people to pause for thought. Do I go for the PlayStation? Do I go for the Saturn? Do I go for the Atari Jaguar? Ha, no. Do I wait for the Nintendo 64? Because this is a Mario game. This is a fully 3D Mario game. This is unlike... This is this is an actual game changer. There has not been a game like this. And even though we will get our Crash Bandicoots, we will get our Spyros, we will get all these fair imitators to the crown. No one ever did Mario 64 better than Mario 64. Not even Nintendo. That's what I was going to say. Like, I think the reason why I think it is fair in its inclusion here is because this is probably the best version of a 3D platforming game. And it's the first one, you know, one of the first ones. And I think it's the one that gets it the most right. There have been some good 3D platformers that came out after Mario 64, but man, like Mario 64 is one of those games. And I don't know, I've, I've had these conversations with people before where they've played Mario 64 and been like, how did no one else do this this well? No one else made a game that felt this smooth with a 3D platformer. It's remarkable in a way. And I, I completely agree with you. I don't even think Nintendo managed it a second time. And I think one of the things I didn't fully appreciate with Mario 64, partly because I was just so enamoured with it, is how in a lot of ways, it's not actually a Mario game. Which is weird as well, because we were talking about this just a few episodes ago when we had the preview of it. You're right, but it feels like a Mario game at the same time. Like it is, it's so new, but yet so familiar at the same time. Like, if you think of what you consider a core mechanic of a Mario game, is your jump and you land on things yeah. and you jump go down pipes go up pipes yeah and you jump and you hit blocks you spend a lot more time in mario 64 punching and kicking than you do jumping and squashing because it's 3d it's much more difficult to get the timing i was going to say and i think most people when they play this game that's the first thing they will attempt to do is just do the run and stomp and it's yeah you quickly learn that's actually not the most efficient way to play the game and i still remember going back to that preview where they were just like you know it was fairly sparse there weren't that many enemies (laughs) around i'm sure the density will be higher in the final game it's like no it won't but also if they'd done that in the final game we'd be on to lost levels kind of difficulty I, i think the nintendo 64 could have done it hardware wise i just don't think it would have made the game fun difficulty wise they found different they found lots of different ways to make the game more challenging and i think swamping you with enemies was not the right way to go so i'm glad they didn't last thing i wanted to mention on this actually before we, we do move on from this like again lol it's dave perry that's doing this i i will never not think that is funny his line where he says you know he calls it the ultra 64 again and then says that it could cast a shadow over this christmas do you think that is in case of they'd recorded this before they did that piece where you know the preview piece where it's like it's not going to be out for a little while yet or do you think it's a case of people maybe have asked for a playstation or a saturn this year and actually would be like no i'm going to hold off on asking for one now because i'm going to wait till the 64 comes out and ask for it for christmas then i think the latter and i'm also keeping in mind the back cover of the issue of games master magazine that we'll be talking about very soon because the press is kind of backing up that theory if you consider the Games Master magazine would have come out and would have started to go to press in the tail end of December, kind of like probably the, the advert on the back is to do with the Nintendo 64. 
Spoilers. Spoilers. Uh, but Games Master would not have been the only magazine that that appeared on. And I imagine some would have come out where their release cycle was slightly earlier in the month, perhaps. Or maybe even they had a late November one. Mm-hmm. That advert, plus the early appearances of stuff coming out of Japan, we could just be enough. Out. We thought it was coming out next year. We all yeah. did. It could just be enough for people to go, did you keep the receipt? Like, even if they got a PlayStation or Saturn to go... Did you keep the receipt? Can we take this back? Because I want to wait. Yeah. Who'd have thunk as well that it'd actually be two Christmases before we get to it? This and the next one. I think the final comment from Dave is an important one with Nintendo, and it's one they never really strayed from, which is their target audience. And their target audience is, and to a degree always will be, the family. Mm -hmm. Whether it's the SNES, Nintendo 64 the GameCube, particularly the Wii, also the Wii U, and then the Nintendo Switch. Or whether you're looking at the handheld market with the Game Boy and how widespread that was with Tetris or um, the, the DS with all the brain training games that your granny was playing. It was always about that broad market appeal. And I think the way that Mario was presented, the broad primary colours, the big bold iconography and the fact that hey guess what this is still identifiably mario nintendo were putting all their chips on those family cards and did it work for them with the nintendo 64 no i did it work for the gamecube either no did it work for them on the wii oh yes absolutely oh holy shit did it like my an ex-girlfriend of mine i remember taking my wii over to hers one evening (laughs) Yeah, you know, and um playing is this with, normal <laughs> and playing wii sports <laughs> with her parents and the very next day her dad went out and bought one never owned a games console in his life had zero interest in playing games before that but he absolutely loved playing bowling on the week and and that was it they went and bought that and they bought wii fit and all of the gubbins that came with it and that the man the wii was just like i was working in a video game shop when the wii came out it was i worked in a toy shop that was selling wii's it was a huge family thing it's kind of like the you know and i, I totally get why nintendo go for it as well so in fact this you know their business mantra it's why people say that driving instructor being a driving instructor is one of the greatest jobs in the world because there will always be teenagers and with nintendo there will always be families their commitment to local multiplayer as well Nintendo 64 established the four controller ports at the front. The GameCube kept it. The Wii kept it, although it was hidden under a flap. But even then, four Wiimotes. And again, with the Switch, there's so many times you see this concept of four people all with one of the little Joy-Cons each. It's why Nintendo uh, holds such a special place in my heart. Just before we came to on mic to record this, we were talking about that Evil Dead game. I love the Evil Dead, but it doesn't have a local multiplayer on it. And so I'm, I'm less inclined to play it now. And I have found myself in my later years only really going for multiplayer games that are local multiplayer. And if it doesn't have a local multiplayer option, I'm probably just not going to pick it up because I'm never going to play it with anyone else. I want to play it with friends in the same room. I mean, we've both got Evercade versuses. How many joypad ports do they have on the front, Luke? Oh, and you know, we wanted to get that big premium pack because it came with four pads. And I'm like, there'll be four player games that I want to play on this. Yeah. Like the cut of my trousers, some things defy categorization. So before we go, here's a pick and mix of Games Master moments, proving we are the last bastion of variety entertainment. The final clip package that we have here 
is, you know, some really good stuff in there. Let loose going into the cage. Bloody hell, I missed the goblins. Wonderful montage of pants as well. The waves to Paula. But it's so worth it, Ash, for... Scott, plank. Dola, plank. George, you came so very, very close, but ultimately, plank. Yep. One of our favourite moments from Series 1 and also seeing Dolat on the screen again. The, yeah. the, the interview that we genuinely always wanted to try and find and talk to was Dolat and just could not find for love nor money anywhere. If anyone knows where Dolat is, please put us in touch because I'll still go back and do that interview. I actually really like this this clip as well, just for the Dolat thing as well, because when he first calls what the kid Plank, you hear Dolat laugh because she's like, oh, I know where this is going. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've worked with them on the production of this show. Also, Luke, raving goblins. Oh, I've, I've literally written my notes here. Man, I miss the goblins. Angels, are, are, they're, they're fine and everything, but they do f*** all on this show. The goblins were active. The goblins got involved. But I do think overall, as a clip package, this just felt like the off cuts. It was just like, oh, this this uh, this episode has run about... 90 seconds short what can we put together just to, to fill the 90 seconds here what's some goofy stuff we can put at the end that we couldn't fit anywhere else really That's because it, yeah. no place for it it's just the offcuts just it's the, the, bits, off-cuts. The, the bits that we like yeah the bits that we like for no other reason than they made us laugh and that's what they're there for, yeah. Also, Dom finding a sneaky way to, to remind Paula of how many times <laughs> like he's got celebrities to wave to his mum by putting them all in one video package. Yeah, that's a really, really nice moment. I particularly like that. Well, heaven's festivities are nearly over, and soon the angels and I will be safely tucked up in bed once more. That also signals the end of our Christmas rumble through Games Master's large historical sack. And here's the five more years of adding to your television jollies and my vintage car collection. We'll be back at the same time in next week, but even funnier. And remember, life is a lot like Christmas. Your mate always gets the bigger bike. God bless. Oh, pants. And that's it. Dom sends us home while the angels open up their poorly wrapped presents because, or I don't know what, do they think that we're going to do a second take of this? Not likely, Series 5. It's worth it for that punchline of pants. And I guess that's that wraps it up. Episode, like That's our first ever clip show. Um, It was actually much easier to review than I thought because it was basically just getting nostalgic for the uh, last two years of us doing this podcast. But what did you make of it? I had a lot of fun with it. There was a lot less work to do. Maybe that's why I had a lot of fun with it. It was just like going through the average episode. I'm like, oh, shit, I got to look this up and this up. And oh, things like when you get exercise bike challenges, that'll be coming up soon. And they don't really give a brand name. That's always fun to try and research. Uh, I do want to say there is also a brief post-credit sequence on this one. Ah, humbug. Again, it's just off cuts of games master stuff like we had during the uh, the football challenge where they just got him to say ooh ah Cantona or come and have a go if you think you're hard enough don't really know where we're going to put them but I'll just pop them in there for a bit ooh ah Cantona <laughs> but no I had a lot of fun with this 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 actually felt the most Christmassy because it was a clip show this was kind of like your Dennis Norden it'll be all right on the night just festive bollocks really just, there, there was nothing nice time just a nice time this show isn't it yeah, other than dunking on decks, that's yeah. the only bit. 
but other than that, it was just a nice. I think I think at this point that that's just par for the course. Yeah, but but yeah, it was just a nice time. Some fun clips, some good times, some innuendo, some sprouts and a carrot, and haircuts. It is the most innuendo heavy episode that we have had in a long old while as well. I feel like the innuendos have not been there for a lot of series five because Dom is now a serious journalist. Uh, but yeah, this was just like full panto mode of just like dropping the innuendos which is so timely i yeah i just had a lot of fun with it it, it did make me feel very nostalgic for the show maybe want to go back and see some old classic episodes and it was kind of nice to you know reflect on the show that it once it was was and now is and i i think that is really nice score wise i haven't a blues clue what uh, i'm gonna be doing here because I, yeah, <laughs> I, usually I have like a benchmark of things to work off. And I don't really have that here. I'm going to judge it based on was I bored? And the simple answer is no, I wasn't. Because even though I had seen everything in here before, like there were no really original kind of challenges, even the games that changed the world segment, none of them were games that we hadn't seen before. So really the only new, new content we got were the linking segments with Dom and the Angels. And I would say that there are episodes that I have struggled to get through far more this season. Yeah, I I completely agree with you on that. And I think if you are a fan of this show, which if you're listening to the podcast and you've reached this point in your timeline, then you I think it's fair to say you are a fan of this show. I don't think anyone could watch this show as a fan of Games Master and be bored by this episode just because it's so loving towards itself. And sort of like loving towards, you know, the, the the journey that we've all been on. So yeah, so I I don't think I was never bored in this whatsoever. In fact, once one clip package ended, I was excited to see what the next one was. And also I think Christmas episodes fall into a special category. We've talked about it before with the uh the Panto Challenge episode back in, in series, series three, three. Which was a terrible episode for the challenges. <laughs> yeah, it really like, was. Absolutely awful, but was a brilliant episode overall because it was so unique. And there was nothing like it. And it was also proper Christmassy, just like this is. That's exactly it. Like, this is a proper Christmas episode. This is a much better Christmas episode than we got last year in Series 4. Yeah, all, although last year did give us the goblins basically robbing HMV. But that, I was thinking, is the only good thing from that episode. Like, none of the challenges were very good. All the celebrity impersonators they brought in weren't particularly great. I think this is a much, much better Christmas episode than we got last year. I'm just going to drop a score out there into the air and see what you think of it. 91%. It's funny, I was actually thinking 90. I'd originally thought 80. But the more I think about it, the more I enjoyed this, the more I was going to bump it up. And the only reason I didn't want to go into the 90s, because 90s for me is what I usually... I'm actually going to go down, because I'm going to go to 89. But because, for me, when I get to the 90s, it has to be an all-time classic episode. Or, you know, like a really, like, you've got to go out your way to watch it. And I don't think this is a... You have to go out of your way to watch it. But it is... Oh man. I mean, you couldn't go into the 70s for this because it's a hard recommend. I'm going to stick with 91 because for me, this is a must-watch episode because it's the only one of its kind, really. It's mm. the only kind of traditional Christmas clips episode that Games Master does. And we won't get an episode like this until the finale. And even that is very different because that, while it is a highlight episode, an eclipse episode, it's also a deconstruction episode, quite literally. Quite literally. Well, we'll get to that when we get to it because 
spoilers everyone, it's actually not that far in our timeline. It's only what, like 20 odd episodes away. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. If you want to find us on social media, we're on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console, and you can send an email, and you should do because we need to be getting your feedback in for the end of the series at feedback at underconsultation.com. Or if you want to chat with us in real time, hang out with us, with other listeners, with other fans of Under Consultation, you can do so over on our Discord, where we are currently talking about Bond in the Movies, Games and Videos channel. In the general channel, we are welcoming newcomer to the Discord, Juan Dune, who has joined us. And last night we had a Eurovision chat going because... That's when this episode was recorded, and yes, we were cutting it fine this week. But the Eurovision chat was an absolute bloody joy, especially because, holy shit, Luke, we did quite well. Yeah, I know. I mean, but you don't want to win this year, do you? Oh, no. You don't want to be the country that beats Ukraine. Oh, no. I mean, I know we're the villains of Eurovision anyway, but fucking <laughs> hell, you don't want to... You don't, you don't want to be those people, do you? Yeah, I say, we're, we're not the villains of Eurovision anymore. The villains of Eurovision were not allowed to take part this year. <laughs> because they're the villains of the world but if you want to support this podcast monetarily you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod where you'll get next week's episode one week early and ad free at the five pound level and access to ucp extra which is this podcast format but about other shows from the 80s and 90s and at the 10 pound level you get a little bit extra ash what do you get oh at the 10 pound level you get our under consultation patreon pack which contains our glittery golden joystick waggler mug which is stuffed with sweeties badges stickers retro trading cards and a discount voucher off of our first under consultation t-shirt and a shout out to those 10 pound backers Xanderthal, william tom the amazing cliff simon juan doom sarah aka pink lithium reese nick misha matty boom mark link Kevin, Jamie, Ian, Harriet, Manga Girl, Gordon Debster, Gordon Brandt, David Palmer, David Fisher, Darkside73, Chrissy Tuesdicks, Beat the Games Master, Arcadia, Wild Bill, Andy, Andrew Cummings, and Adam D. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in seven days' time. Take care, everyone. Good night. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 